Well, good morning. Good to be with you. I want to start with a lighthearted story, and it goes like this. It's a story that's told of two Australian sailors who had just disembarked from a ship in England, and they were walking into town one night where they found their way into a pub. They enjoyed themselves throughout the evening, had one too many to drink, and then they walked out of the pub that night into a dense London fog. They were completely disoriented, wobbling around, and were looking for help when they saw a gentleman coming into the pub. Now, unbeknownst to them, uh, because of the stupor that they were in, he was a highly decorated naval officer. And as he came closer, one of the sailors said to, said to him, Say, you bloke, can you tell us where we are? The officer, quite offended, uh, looked at them and said, Do you men know who I am? At which point, one of the sailors said to the other, We are really in a mess now. We don't know where we are, and he doesn't know who he is. And I share that story because beginning last week and over the next couple of weeks, we're looking at a topic that I think can be confusing. We're not quite sure what's going on. If you were here last week, we began with this question, do you know how God has gifted you? Now, I'm not one of the people that always says this, but I think this is particularly helpful, particularly if you're interested in the Holy Spirit and how to manifest himself in believers for you to go back and listen to last week's message. I'm not going to rehash all of it here, but suffice to say, we kind of came to this conclusion that when you look throughout the New Testament, especially when they talks about the spiritual giftings or manifestations of the Spirit, that it does not appear that if you are a follower of Christ, you have one, two, three, four, five, however many it is, spiritual gifts that you have for life. Instead, what seems to be a more consistent reading of what's happening is that the Holy Spirit, if you are a follower of Jesus, can manifest himself or give you giftings in different ways in different seasons of life, depending on where you are and how he wants you to love and build up other people. And so when we read lists like we read last week and this week and the next couple of weeks, we should not read these manifestations or giftings of the Holy Spirit and assume, well, God doesn't want me to do that or I can't do that because it's not about what you can do. It's about what God can do. So when I said last week, how has God gifted you? I guess it was a little facetious because it could be in a variety of ways. And that being said, this is the question for us this morning. How does God want to use you? So the point last week was this, that God wants to, uh, uh, how has God gifted you? He's gifted you to love and serve other people to do what we're going to be talking about this morning. But if I was going to ask you, how do you think God wants to use you? I think like last week for this question, you might also say, I have some ideas I might know, but maybe I'm not totally sure. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't, there's a black one somewhere around you. And if you do not own a Bible, you can take that one home. But feel free to flip there if you want to read along with us. Uh, we are in a series called Masterclass. We've spent the, most, uh, the majority of 2019 in the book of 1 Corinthians, written by Paul to a church which is in now modern-day Greece, basically explaining to them how the gospel impacts every area of our lives. Uh, last week, he began talking about the Holy Spirit and how he has gifted and manifests himself in ways uh, in believers to love and to build up the church. And today we're going to continue the point of the Spirit, which is to love one another and build each other up. And he's going to talk specifically about how that happens. And he starts in chapter 12 and verse 12. He says this, For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one Spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. 
And here's Paul's point, that in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have different functions, different roles, just like a physical body, but we are all one. Now, this would have been a radical statement to the first century Jews that were hearing this or reading this for the first time, because what Paul is saying is that in Jesus, it doesn't matter your ethnicity, who you are, your background, what you may have done, that all of us are equal before God, that all of us have equal access to God's grace, forgiveness, and mercy in Jesus. And his point is not the fact that we are different, but we're one body means that you and I have different functions, we have different roles in the body of Christ, we have different ways that the Spirit might want to manifest Himself in our life to use us. So it's going to be different based on who you are, but the body is the same. And it's supposed to, the point is that it's supposed to, we're supposed to use our different seasons of life, giftings, roles to build up one another. And of course, the question is, how do I know if I'm included in the body of Christ? You would answer it by, as we said last week, by being indwelled by the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you are a follower of Jesus, it's not because you decided one day when you woke up in the morning that, hey, I think I want to start following God. What's happened is the Holy Spirit has leaned in, has convicted, and has shown you that God loves you and has brought you into himself. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, but you're curious about things of God, about church, about Jesus, I want you to be encouraged and for you to know that that is the Holy Spirit showing himself, letting you know that God loves you and that God is inviting you to come and follow him. In other words, that if you are a follower of Jesus, it's not because you earned it, it's because God graciously revealed his love to you, and he gives us his love as a free gift, and so does he gives us the manifestations of the Spirit to love and build each other up. In other words, you don't have to be a perfect varsity, never get anything wrong, never sin Christian, because those don't exist, but you don't have to be super holy for God to love you, because if you have the Spirit, and if you're a follower of Christ, you do, then you have a role to play. In other words, here's what I would say as we begin this morning, that everyone has a role to play. Every single one of us has a role to play. And I would even go so far as to say this. Even if you are not yet a Christian, you have a role to play. Because what do we know? Jesus says that he desires everybody come to know him, to know that God loves them, that God cares for them, that he lays his life down for anybody who would come and follow him. And as we're going to read, that when we as followers of Jesus aren't playing our role, aren't participating in the body of Christ... The body suffers, which means if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, the invitation is that God wants to reveal his love to you and wants to use your giftings, your passions, your desires to make a difference in the world and in his kingdom. This is not just for believers. It's an invitation for all of us to follow Jesus and to be used by him. Now, if you are a Christian and I say everyone once has a role to play, you might say, yeah, like I get it, but that's what everyone says. You're supposed to say that. And if you're like me, you might view this saying kind of like how I viewed playing jazz band when I was in college. So when I went to college, I went in as a music major. I was playing jazz piano, which may sound interesting, but uh, I had never really played jazz before I got to college. So it was awesome and it was fun, but I had no idea what I was doing. And so I was put into one of the jazz bands. There were six saxophones, bass, uh, drums, and me. And although I was the only piano player, so clearly like I had something to contribute here, I was extremely self-conscious and intimidated because I did not have the training that these other people had. I did not know the theory like they did. My ear wasn't as developed as theirs were, were like soloing, like all these sorts of things. I was like, man, I was so intimidated that I kind of viewed it as, I just don't want to mess this thing up. Like I didn't actually kind of figure out like how can I contribute? How can I play my part? Like I was just, I didn't want to mess anything up. And so out of, so I kind of, I operated out of fear of blowing it as opposed to, hey, I'm going to have fun with this and I'm going to learn and I'm going to grow. And I share that story because when it comes to following Jesus and playing our part, I think sometimes we think, well, maybe if there's just like a conversation that actually comes up and I can talk about Jesus, maybe I'll do that. But other than that, I'll just try to be a good person because I don't want to mess anything up. And that's not what Paul wants us to know here. He wants us to know 
that we should not be intimidated, that we do not have to be perfect, that every single one of us has a role to play. And so because of that, he says this in verse 15. He says, If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Again, just like our physical bodies are necessarily made up of many parts, so it is with the body of Christ. And what I think is so fascinating, no part is any less significant, and God has arranged each part as he wanted, as it says in verse 19. In other words, you are not less than for the gifts and talents and desires that you have, that you are not a mistake. And it can be easy for us, as we saw in this passage, to assume, well, I'm not like this person. I'm not gifted like this person. I don't have all the knowledge that this person has. I'm not as holy as this person. And his point is that that's okay that you're not like that person, because God doesn't want you to be like that person, that he has designed you, given you the passions and the giftings for a reason, that you are not a mistake. In fact, I would put it this way. If there were two things that I would want us at New City Church to know and believe about all else, it would be these two things. First, it would be that Jesus is who he says that he is, that he is God, that he is Lord, that he lived the perfect life, that he came and sacrificed himself for us so that anyone who trusts and follows Jesus can receive the grace and mercy and the forgiveness of God and will one day live eternally in his kingdom. We believe that Jesus is who he says he is, who his scripture pointed him and has painted him to be. But the second thing I would want us to know and believe is this, that every single one of us can be used by God. That every single one of us, that we would believe without it beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have a role to play. It may be different, it may look different, but it's still vitally important. In other words, here's why I would say it's important for us to know that everyone has a role to play. It's because we need you. We need you. And I mean this in two ways. One, I mean this as like if New City Church is your collective local expression, the church that you belong to, New City Church needs you. We need you to give. We need you to serve. We need you to be a part of what we're doing. But also capital C Church, not just like on Sunday mornings or at the church that you attend. As you live your daily lives in your workplaces, in your mom's groups, in your college, in your classes that you're in, wherever you find yourself, we need you and the body of Christ needs you. And to make this point, I want to briefly uh, give you a list of people who have made an impact in my life. Now, some of these people probably would, have, would be shocked to know that they are on this list. But this list is just representative of what happens when we all play our part. People that have profoundly impacted my life because they were faithful simply where God has them. And this list could go on forever, but I'll just name a few. Uh, the first on the list is uh, the Webbers. They led when I, the church that I grew up in when I was in third, fourth, and fifth grade. We had something called Club 345. Super original. It's awesome, right? But it was for third, fourth, and fifth graders. And what it was awesome, I can't remember anything we really learned, although I'm sure it was impactful at the time. But two things to this day still stick out for me from Club 345. One is that we got to play this game called baseball every single week. Basically, it was like this poster board where you flipped a quarter and you would either land on a single, double, triple, home run, or out, and it was awesome. So I remember, so I learned one thing that church can be fun. And the second thing I learned was that they cared about me. That the church is a place where people show up, they serve, 
and that they cared. Again, I can't tell you any specific lesson I learned because it was so many years ago, but I can tell you that the Webbers were faithful where God had them, served, and they probably thought they weren't making that. They might have thought, I don't know, that they weren't making that much of a difference, but a profound impact on my life, even at such an early age. The second guy, just to show you that we never know what impact we might be having, I don't even remember his name. It literally says middle school guy. I don't remember this guy's name. But when I was in sixth and seventh grade, uh, this guy showed up. He either was a state student or he had just graduated. I lived in the area. And, you know, sixth and seventh grade guys are just punks. Like, we're just brats. We ain't listening. And I knew it at the time. Like, I was a well-behaved kid, but I was also a brat. And uh, he showed up every Sunday. He was, he, he was soft-spoken, kind of reserved, but he was faithful, what I learned, that he cared about us. Even then, I was like, I don't know why he shows up every week because we don't listen half the time. But he was there. He was there, right? His faithfulness made a big impact on my life. Or I think about Donnie, who was my youth pastor through most of middle school and high school. This guy told the best stories when he, when he taught. It was always so interesting to listen to him teach, but he's also, he cared. He was camp counselors when we would go on camp, and he was there all the time. He gave his time and his effort. And you could say, well, he's your youth pastor. He's, that's what he's supposed to do. But he did it well, and he loved us well. Had a profound impact on my life. The next guy, this guy's name's Dan. You might laugh at this. Who many, not just remembered, but how many of you had a MySpace page? Okay, you got some laughs there. So every summer, our church would go to this uh, summer camp in Virginia, and it was a lot of the same churches would go every year, and so we would meet a lot of the same people. And this one guy named Dan, he was a year or two older than I, I was, but he loved Jesus, and he wasn't weird about it. And I remember coming back from camp one time, I guess I was seventh, eighth grade, I don't know, we became friends on MySpace, and I was looking at his MySpace, it might be funny to you, but this made a profound impact on me. He was a Christian, like people would like comment on his wall or whatever you said, or whatever you call it, I don't know, and everybody knew it, and he wasn't weird. Like, it was just like, I'm a normal guy who loves Jesus. And I remember thinking, I want to do that. Like, you can be a Christian in school and not be weird about it. Like, you can just be a normal guy and have conversations and it not be awkward. But it had a profound impact on me. I'm like, I can be open, not in a weird way, and love people well. Dan, who was a year, year older than me, right? He was eighth grade, freshman in high school, being faithful where he was, profound impact on my life. A guy named John, I uh, shared last week, I think, uh, he was the guy who was originally started when I was in seventh grade, started serving in the middle school ministry that I was a part of. He was an NC State student at the time. Every year, me and my, my friends got older. He was our Bible study leader. Profound impact on my life, served, cared. Uh, he was the best man at my wedding. He was the one that uh, broke the news and picked me up when my father passed away. Massive impact on my life, him, including pretty much everyone on this list. New City would not exist for his impact. Again, he was a normal guy, had a normal job, probably wondering why he was wasting his time and money half the time, but being faithful where he was. I think about my wife, Christina. She, uh, we met our freshman year of college, and uh, two things struck me about her. She was fun, she, was, she looked good, and she loved Jesus. And like, not in a weird way. She was like, actually like, in, like, it was no, like she actually cared about Jesus. And I was like, okay, like, uh, we could, like, this could work here, right? You know what I'm saying? Now, what you might not know is that she was a brand new follower of Christ. Why do I share that? She dealt me twice in the course of our college career because she was still growing. Like, she was still learning, right? She was still making an impact, right? But just her faith, even as a freshman, made an impact on me. I think of my friend named Todd. Again, he was a college student. I was in college at this time. I spent one summer in college in Lebanon in the Middle East, a mission trip type thing all summer. We were in Beirut, which was the capital, so it's pretty, pretty relatively safe. Uh, but we were never allowed to go anywhere on our own. And so Todd was, uh, he was from another college, and so he was the one that was paired with me. We spent most of our days on the American University of Beirut, Beirut on the Mediterranean Sea. And this man, I, have, I mean, I know there's a lot of people gifted in this way, but I have never been around someone uh, like this that could turn any conversation 
from soccer or whatever to Jesus in 30 seconds. But it wasn't weird. Like, it was just like, I'm going to talk to you about Jesus, about faith, ask you questions in a normal manner. And he taught me, what does it look like to be intentional with my conversations in a way that are normal and it's not awkward and nobody feels uncomfortable, right? He had a prof- even as a college student, profoundly shaped what it meant for me to be intentional in my conversations about faith with other people. I'll share just two more. Uh, Brian, who was the pastor of the church that Christine and I helped plant right after we graduated college, he gave me opportunities that I would not have gotten anywhere else. Now, part of it might have been because we were a church plant and we needed all the help we could get, but he still let me do things that were invaluable or to, to, my, to my growth as someone who's in vocational ministry and is a pastor today. He invested and he cared. Last person I'll share on this list, Dave Patchen. Many of you know he was up here doing Next Steps, has been a family friend our entire life, particularly once my father passed away, became a mentor to me. I would call him in college. Even when Christina and I moved back to the Raleigh area years ago, we would meet every other Wednesday morning at McDonald's before he would go to work, I would go to work, just answer, ask, so I, I could ask him questions, talk about life, just being faithful where he was. And I share that list because, again, this has nothing about the people that I don't even remember, that aren't even on it, but what do I share this list? Many parts, one body. And you have no idea whose list you are on or might be on one day by just being faithful where you are. Or we could maybe put it this way. I think sometimes you might think, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not in vocational ministry, so what difference can I make? I would put it this way, that if everybody did what I did, as Paul says here, if everyone was an eye, everybody a hand, like if, everyone, if we were all on stage preaching, like there'd be nothing for us to do. Like who'd we talk into an empty room? It'd be weird. Or I said last week, like, my job is relatively simple. I come, I get to preach, nobody's asking me any hard questions, nobody's interrupting me, like, it's pretty simple, right? The hard work is taking what we have learned and living it out. I heard one pastor put it this way, that when we come on the weekends to, to sing and to worship, that we're, what we're really doing is like a football analogy, that we're kind of run, we're calling the play, that we're gathering up, we're, we're encouraging one another, we're being convicted, we're loving, we're being reminded of God's grace in our life, and we are to go out and live out what we have learned. And we are not going to be an effective body, an effective church, an effective community is if all we do is we come in and we get encouraged, we should be encouraged and we should be reminded of God's goodness, but we don't take what we have learned to love and serve other people. That God has us in all different spheres of life, all different influences, all different relationships, and if we were all doing the same exact thing, who would reach the people that God wants you to impact in your life? Many parts one body. That's Paul's point. And so he continues on by saying this in verse 21. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body. In other words, no one part is better or more important. Now, what Paul is bringing to mind here, especially if you were here a couple of weeks ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, is the shameful treatment that the Corinthians were treating each other with when they took communion. So for them, they typically took communion around a meal, and it was those that were more wealthy in the church that would provide the meal. But what was happening? Some of the more wealthy in the church weren't, they, pretty much what was happening is they weren't sharing. That Some were eating too much, and some of the poor people couldn't participate at all. Some of them, were, in fact, were drinking so much wine that they were getting drunk, right? That they weren't, that community is supposed to be reminded that we're all equal before God, that nobody's more important. 
and how they were celebrating communion was not showing that that is true. Or this is also a reflection way back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul talks about how God uses the weak to shame the strong. Even Jesus is a pinnacle example of this, right? He dies a criminal's death on a cross. The world would look at that and say, you are weak, you're not powerful, you can't even get down from the cross. And God uses that moment to powerfully give grace and forgiveness to anyone who would come and follow him. His point is that do not assume that your role does not matter. Do not assume that what you do where God has you is unimportant. Because if, God, if every single person is infinitely valuable to God, then every single person that you interact with is important to him. Your role matters no matter what it is. And so with that, here is what, I, to make this practical maybe, especially for our context where we, I think often, at least I do this, where I assume that I'm not as gifted or as good as other people, here's what I think maybe Paul might tell us to do from this text, and that's this. Don't get so focused on what you can't do that you don't do what you can. Don't get so focused on the ways that you are not gifted, on the abilities that you do not have, uh, on the skill that you don't have, on the money, on the power, the authority. Do not get so focused on what you can't do that you don't do what God has you to do right in front of you. Because God has you where you are for a reason. Think of it this way. Uh, go make it uh, like, for, like this. Our college students, and I say this all the time, are pretty much running the church. Like most weeks, over half the band in production are college students. They're serving in Little City. They're serving all over the place. They help set up for our events. Like they're running this thing, right? Now, if you're a college student, you might say, well, they're New City churches, you know, two and a half years old. It's still young. They have financial needs. Obviously, there's a new, their new church budget's tight. But I don't have much money, so I can't give. I'm not going to do anything. That would be awful, awful, right? So what do they do? Instead, they focus on what they can do. They play their part and make a big difference. And just to show you that this, this means that God can use everybody is that they're not even Duke students. They're state students, and God's using them in profound ways, right? Don't get so focused on what you can't do that you don't do what you can. Because God has you. He's given, he's given you your desires for a reason. Listen, even if you've blown it, even if you fall short, even if you don't always measure up, that is okay that God wants to use you, even if it's just one person, to impact that person in ways that nobody else could. And ultimately, here's why this is important for us to know. He says this in verse 26. He says, so if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. One member is honored. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. In other words, the body has many members, and if one is affected, it affects the whole body. Like, think of it this way. I don't know if you've ever stubbed your little pinky toe. Like, you, if you're like me, you might assume your pinky toe, what's the point? It's just there to get stubbed. And when it gets stubbed, your whole body, like, paralyzes. You're just like, ah, you can't move. You're just, like, staring at things. Why, why, why? One thing, one small part of your body, it suffers. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. It's hurt. It impacts the entire body. I think of it this way. Who's seen the, the show Friday Night Lights? Yeah, some of you guys, okay. Uh, I got in trouble for this Thursday night, so let me clarify. This show is 14 years old, and what I'm about to get, tell you happens like in the first season in the first episode. So I'm not giving it, giving it away, and it's an old show, so get over it. Uh, my wife and I, Christina, we just started watching this show, and basically what happens is it's Friday Night Lights. It's a, it's a, a fictional story of a, football, a high school football in Texas. They play on Friday nights, so Friday Night Lights. And the season starts, the number one rated uh, team in the state with the number one rated quarterback in the entire country who's going to go to Notre Dame, go pro, make lots of money, all that sort of thing. First game of the season, he throws an interception. He goes to make the tackle. The quarterback does. It gets paralyzed. Done. 
can't walk again, all that stuff. Now, long story short, he gets upset. His family starts to school, sues the coach in the school because they're trying to make some money up for all the therapy and all that sort of thing. They settle before the season's over, and uh, he basically runs into some of his teammates a couple of days before the semi state semifinals. So the team, without him, still was able to make it all the way to the semifinals of the playoffs. The quarterback who took over for him was a sophomore, not very good, but he was getting better. And eventually, they run into each other. They go out, they hang out, and they're at, they're at the field that night. And the quarterback that was paralyzed from his wheelchair starts coaching the sophomore quarterback. He's teaching them techniques, how to throw certain plays. Long story short, he, the quarterback uses one of the plays and techniques that he was taught while they were practicing in the semifinal game to win it. They go to states. They win the states last second play, last second. It's awesome. Now, you, if you watch the show, you know that Jason Street, the paralyzed quarterback, made a big difference. The average fan would have assumed he was paralyzed. He did nothing. What happened? He finally realized, even though his role is different than what he might have wanted it to be or what it used to be, his team would not have won without him doing what he could do, that he had a valuable role to play, that all of us have a role to play. We, instead of focusing on what we can't do, we suffer. The body of Christ suffers. Put it this way, here's why we need to know that we need to focus on what we can do, because the body of Christ suffers when you do nothing. The body of Christ suffers when you and I do not play our part. Just like his team would have not won states, we suffer. Now, hear me. I'm not saying this in a condemning tone. I'm saying this to encourage you. In fact, many of you serve and give and are faithfully a part of New City. I want to say thank you and keep it up. This is not meant to beat you down. This is to remind us that we have a role to play, that I'm talking about you, I'm talking about us. And so as we're being faithful here, let's just continue to be intentional, whether it's at New City, whether it's at our jobs, whether it's the people that we see throughout the week, that God is just simply calling us to be faithful. And when we are not faithful, the body of Christ misses out. And we have to remember that this is all grounded in the gospel, that we don't do this so that God will love us more, to get anything from us. The gospel is that Jesus gladly laid down his life for us, not because he needed us, but simply because he loves us. That in Jesus, if you are a follower of Christ, you have nothing to prove and no one to impress. And so we live lives of honoring people and loving God, not to get something from God, but in response to the gift that he has given us, and so that as many people as possible that we know might meet Jesus and grow in a relationship with him. We don't do this to get something from God. We do this so other people can have the mercy and grace of God, the kingdom of God awaiting them like we do because of the, uh, the grace and the mercy and the gift of Christ's life for us. The body of Christ suffers when you and I do nothing. And so we should not assume that we don't have a role to play, that God has something very valuable for us to be a part of. And so because of that, Paul then says this in verse 28 in the last few verses of this passage. He says, as God, appointed these, God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, uh, various kinds of tongues. And then he says this, are all apostles? The answer to this question, rhetorical question, is no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers, right? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But, the desi but de desire the greater gifts and I will show you an even better way. Now, what's happening here is that Paul is now giving a list, some of function in the church and some are manifestations of the Spirit. In other words, he's saying this, that your role in the church is going to look different, your function in the church, and your role in the body is going to look different, but together we make a difference. We are one body. If I was going to do maybe the 21st century American translation, you could say this, are all pastors, 
or all on church staffs or all in vocational ministry. No, we have a different function in the body of Christ, and we have different ways that the Spirit wants to use us in our everyday lives. That God wants us to ultimately love and serve other people, and that is when we're going to make a difference. Now, he, in this list, just like last week, he mentions some of what are traditionally known as the supernatural gifts, tongues, healing, prophecy. If you were here last week, I told you I wasn't going to tell you last week how this plays out today. So you might be wondering, okay, what does this mean for us today? Like, do these supernatural gifts still happen? And to that, I would say, you have to come back next week, because we're not talking about that today. I promise. Next week, we're going to get into it, but that's not the point here. Paul's point here is this, that we have different functions, different roles, one body. We need each other. And if we assume that God can't use us because we're not somebody else, we're missing the point. In other words, I think this is the bottom line. Well, this is the bottom line because I wrote the message for today's passage. (laughs) Here's what I think Paul might want us to know in our context today, and that's this, that you are designed to do exactly what God wants you to do. You are designed to do exactly what God wants you to do. What does it say in verse 19? That he has placed us just where he wants us, that he's giving us desires and gifts and abilities to impact people that nobody else could impact, that you're designed to do exactly what God wants you to do. Now, the good news is you're going to blow it. You're not always going to do it. You're going to fall short. And there is grace and mercy for us. But the point is that we should be encouraged to know that we matter, that you matter. I love uh, what, what uh, Scott McKnight in his book, The Jesus Creed, he wrote this in early 2000s, uh, he has this quote, basically he talks about how Jesus took the Shema, which was in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's something that the Israelites would recite, even Jews today to this day often recite it, they would recite it in the morning and the evening, and it would basically remind them that, 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 that God is one and their purpose is to honor and love him. And then Jesus comes along and he actually alters the Shema, which by the way would have been blasphemous would have been a blasphemous thing to do, but Jesus changes it to say what? I am God. So he alters the Shema to say this, and it'll be on the screen. This is what the point of the book uh, is about, but it's this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now that is the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Jesus brings this up when the religious leaders are asking him, trying to trick him, essentially, what's the greatest command of all the Old Testament laws, essentially, what are we supposed to do? Jesus says this, and then he adds something to it, and he says this. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. In other words, if you were here last week and we talked about of the Spirit manifesting Himself in our lives and wanting to maybe experience the Spirit more than you traditionally have, did we said this? Pray this prayer. Say, dear God, help me love others today by the power of Your Spirit. And if I could just tweak it just a little bit, and here's the prayer that I pray, and I would encourage maybe you to adopt it as well. That this, that you would pray this, dear God, help me love You and love others today by the power of Your Spirit. In other words, you are designed to do exactly what God wants you to do, and every member of the body of Christ has a role to play, including you. And so when I began this morning by asking the question, uh, how does God want to use you, I think we get tripped up or we make the mistake by saying, I don't know. We try to think maybe in five or ten years when I become more spiritual, when I have my life figured out, or when things are more organized, that's when he'll make a point. And I I just want to remind us that's not what God is asking us to do. The point is that there is so much more freedom in following Jesus than we think. We often think, I've got to say the right thing, do the right thing, make the right choice, marry the right person, take the right job, live in the right neighborhood. And if I do anything like that uh, wrong, I messed it up. When really all God is asking us to do is to answer it this way. How does God want to use you 
this week? How does God want to use you this week? It's not some big grand master plan that in the midst of your desires, your passions, your ambitions, that you should pursue those things. Those are often given by God. Those are great things. But even as you are pursuing those things, this week, tomorrow morning, wherever you find yourself, how does God want to use you this week? How can you love God and love other people? And by the way, when you are loving other people, you are actually loving God that you were designed to do exactly what God wants you to do. And so when we ask the question, how does God want to use you? We can answer it by saying he wants us to love him and love others. And there, I know there are people in your path, in my path this week that we can love. This does not always mean you're going to have some big, long gospel conversation, but this does mean that you might put your preferences aside for the good of other people, that you might love other people well. And that is what Paul is trying to say. This is why here at New City, we end our services by saying you are sent. Because the goal is for us to go and run the play. The goal is for us to go and be sent and to love people where God has us in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our workplaces, and in our schools this week. Remember, and I hope this is an encouragement to you, that you are designed to do exactly what God wants you to do. And instead of focusing, which I know it's human nature because I do it too, instead of focusing on the areas that we're not gifted and the things that we're not good at, why don't instead we say, God, you have me where I am today for a reason. How can I love people this week and honor you where I'm at? If you're doing that, you're doing exactly what God has designed for you to do. Let's pray.